In episode 52, we're going to be covering trail cameras, food plots, land management, and developing a hunting strategy around it. Now's the time to start putting out your trail cameras and coming up with a plan for fall food plots. And this segment is packed with a lot of useful information to help keep more animals on your property throughout the year and hopefully help punch a tag. Welcome to the Shields Outdoors podcast, your source for information on hunting, fishing, and all of your outdoor passions. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Shields Outdoors podcast. My name is Mike Anderson, and we are on location at Shields Archery University right now. With me, I have Jeff Miller of the Eau Claire Shields store. How are you doing today, Jeff? I'm very good, Mike. I'm happy to be here. Hey, I'm glad to be here too. So uh, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, your role at Shields, and uh, and why that brought you here to Archery University? Absolutely. Yeah, I've, uh, I've been working at Shields for a little over 21 years now. Um, I've been the archery manager for 20 of those years and continue to be the archery manager in an Eau Claire, Wisconsin store. Uh, part of that has been uh, getting on the uh, corporate end of the Shield stuff has been uh, I've been on the archery buying team for 17 or so of those years and then I'm part of the Shields University now too which is really unique in the retail setting we bring uh, this week we have 60 Shields associates here in Sioux Falls South Dakota to train with the best people in the industry on the products that we sell in our archery shops so it's a really unique fun um, long days uh, as you know we have 90 some degree weather this whole week but we're braving through it, and uh, we're learning about the product so we can uh, facilitate the customers better when they come into our stores. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's definitely going to be a scorcher out there. We've done most of our training uh, inside yep. so far, you know, doing some t- speed training, like talking about, you know, going through various vendors like sites and cameras yep. and, yep. and rests and, and all that. Yep. It's, it's been great to, you know, get our hands on those products. But, you know, me personally, I'm really excited to get out in the field. We just, we just built our bowl packages today. Correct. So we, so we understand how to, how to put everything together, how everything works yep. and, uh, and now kind of put it to the test. Yeah. And that's the unique thing about this is it's so hands-on. We all literally got a bow today and we got all the accessories and everybody put their own bow together. So it's not like you're just walking into um, buy a bow package. We actually assembled our own bows and met with the manufacturers of each of each of these bow companies we're shooting and start right from scratch. And it just it facilitates uh, again great better customer service in the future for everybody that's at this university. And this is a yearly thing. Everybody, um, you know, different guys come here each year, guys and girls. I shouldn't say just guys. Uh, um, from all the store settings, even our new store that's going to open in Missoula, Montana, we've got a couple people from here training for that store already. So mm-hmm. yeah, this yeah. is a fun event, and I'm here as a trainer. Um, I'll be doing a training uh, session on Friday, but uh, uh, it's just a great I, – I just wouldn't miss this. We just have a great team put together for this event. So. Mm-hmm. As I can see, it's just an absolute blast, and just the, the amount of learning – is incredible yep. and and it doesn't stop here either yep. you know we've so we have 60 people being trained but then you know they take what they learn and then they go back to the stores and then they train all the people that weren't you know fortunate enough to, fortunate enough to make it and you know kind of my goal in in the marketing side of things is to is to kind of show this to you know, to the customers on yeah. the YouTube side of things too. So it's just, yeah. it's really about everyone learning and progressing in, yeah. in archery. Yeah. And it's a great recruiting tool. I mean, if you're a young guy and you're looking for a profession right now, um, Shields is it. I mean, if you like the outdoors, um, we have, you know, obviously fishing universities, we have hunting universities, we have an archery university, uh, camping, bikes. Um, this is to train people on, on how to use a product, then you actually get the products in your hand, and many times you get to bring a lot of the products home, and it's yours to keep. So, very, very unique. Even the, all the manufacturers are out there say this is a pretty unique thing in the retail world, um, and that's why we do it. I mean, we're setting shields apart from everybody else in the retail end of the uh, of the business right now. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yep. and you mentioned our vendors, and we're just we're so thankful to have those partnerships and right. to, you know, they're they're the reason why we can do this. Exactly, is, is those partnerships. Yep. So. Yep. So you, uh, you're going to do a little training session for us in the upcoming days, aren't you? Yes. Yeah. I'm, uh, 
since I've been doing the university, I've been training on trail cameras. That's kind of my thing in the corporation and and then shields over overall. Um, but Eau Claire Shields, we lead the I think we lead the corporation in camera sales. So they've asked me to do some training. Um, cameras continue to evolve. You know, they went from 35 millimeter when I first started at Shields to digital to you know different kinds of memory cards, and now we're into the era of cellular trail cameras. So um, it continues to evolve. Technology continues to get better. Uh, Overall, the products get better every year, and we're just trying to stay on top of it. And and we have a great crew in our Eau Claire store to help train everybody um, outside the Eau Claire store and how to sell and use trail cameras better. So that's yeah. great. Yeah. Would you um, would you be able to walk through us a little bit about uh, what you're going to be training on exactly? Yeah. So again, the trend right now. I'm just going to go through our, our Shields lineup when we get together on Friday. Um, we have trail cameras at Shields from forty nine ninety nine to $600, you know, so there's a wide array. It's uh, all the features you're looking for. Um, again, just standalone trail cameras where you go out and pull your SD card. That's been around for a long, long time. Um, we still, still content, continue to sell a lot of those, and that's usually on the lower price end of the spectrum, but even cellular trail cameras now that send pictures right to your phone, it's just amazing. I can put cameras out, I'm in Wisconsin, I can put cameras out in Kansas or Iowa where I hunt, and literally within seconds of taking a picture, it sends it to my phone. So it's technology that just, it's just fun. You know, we just, that's the big thing I try to uh, get through to everybody in my training is this is just a fun thing to do is trail cameras. And we got a, a good a good group in Eau Claire, Wisconsin that we have a number of guys that run. I got trail cameras out year round right now. Um, I had them out, you know, three months ago, just scouting for turkeys, but I've got, I know I've shown you the pictures the other night of the bears in my water hole and just the cool things you get when you have a camera out in the woods year round. It's, it's pretty amazing. So mm -hmm. it's not about the deer. I mean, uh, eventually we want to get the big bucks on camera this fall. That's the ultimate goal, I guess, but just the cool stuff. I got little baby fawns on right now and I've got bears and I've got turkeys and, and it's just the cool things you see out in nature that this captures for you and it sends right to your phone now. So. Yeah, it's it's such a great way to become intimate with the outdoors and yep. just learn new things. Yep. You know, I you know one example I have is you know I I've run trail cameras for quite a long time, yep. and um, one of them I I had forgotten it over the winter, and you know I I had rechecked it you know probably like late November and, you know, refresh the batteries and stuff like that. And, you know, it just got to one of those spots that was way back in there and it just, it just slipped, slipped my inventory. You know, when you, when you're running a whole bunch of cameras, that'll yeah. happen. I'm sure you then, then they're done. Then that. they're done that. But yeah. you know, I, I went out in, um, you know, I think it was probably April or no, I'd say it was probably May or June that I finally went and, and back there to get it. And lo and behold, it was still running. So yeah. I just, it was really cool. Cause I had a big card in there too. Yeah. And you know, it was probably like a 32 gig yeah. fresh ready to go. And what I was able to do is I was able to see everything evolve from like the rut up until like May. Yeah. And, um, and what I did too was, uh, I put, I do a lot of video editing stuff. So I was able to do a, you know, sort of a time lapse yeah. or quick motion. So, so it just, put all those yeah. pictures into a video so and we're, we're in north dakota so it snowed yeah. so it's like it went from the fall to the leaves gone to the snow yeah. to like the snow bank going almost to the top of the camera to dropping down and it looked like a pond out yeah. there it was so yeah. wet and then you'd see like bucks come in and the growth start yeah. like yeah. that's just stuff you you can't really see yeah. without using a trail camera yeah. yeah and i've seen a few of those time lapses done and it's amazing how the nature mother nature transforms itself throughout the seasons and and uh yeah that's actually a good idea to keep them out like that like right now we've got a few bucks on camera and of course they're growing out you know if you got one that's growing out a foot out of its head it's pretty good buck right now um there's a few exceptions to that but we're literally looking at facial features and stuff trying to figure out what deer they are from last year so it's all just part of the game um there's a handful of us that work at the store that literally send pictures to each other pretty much every day so and again we just it's i i just can't stress enough how fun they are I mean, mm -hmm. just the unique stuff you get on camera throughout the season is uh you know it's just like christmas almost i tell everybody every time your phone dings now you can pick it up you just never know what you might see on your trail camera so, yeah absolutely yeah. i've i've stepped into the cellular cam game too and just you know my phone rings oh notification yeah. Yeah. what do we got going on there yeah. you know it's it, 
it almost turns into a bit of a distraction. You have to control it a little yep. bit, but uh, yep. you know, so then, you know, I'll, I'll move to like twice a day, you know, right. Notifications. Yeah, and that's and the stuff. thing on cell. You can choose if you want every picture, just like you mentioned, you can get every 12 hours, they'll send you a batch of pictures. You know, most cameras you can, you don't have to get every single picture all the time. Um, we do sell a lot of them for security and things like that, which obviously you want to get the pictures right away. But um, and then you mentioned like batteries when you change your batteries. Nowadays, just about every camera you can get solar panels for, you can get external batteries for them. Um, like you mentioned, they'll, they'll accept up minimum of a 32 gigabyte card. Some accept a much bigger card, so you're not gonna fill your card. If you put a solar panel on, they literally won't run out of juice. So you can literally get pictures the whole season and never have to go out to your trail camera. So this time of year, like we mentioned, it's 90 some degrees today. You don't wanna be run, running around out in the woods putting trail cameras out, but if you already have them out, I tell everybody you can wait three, four months and not ever have to go out to your hunting area. So it's a pretty unique time right now in, in the trail camera world. Um, put them out there once when it's fairly cool in the spring and not worry about them till after hunting season. So Yeah, and you cool. know, uh, another great thing about that is just disturbances mm -hmm. too. Like there were so many times in years past where I wanted to put a camera like deep into a bedding area, yep. but you know, I don't, I don't want to go there. I don't want to bump it out you know, bump a big buck out or anything like that. So yeah. you get yourself one of those cellular cameras with a solar panel yeah. and like you put it out once and you, and you literally never yeah. have to go back there. It's exactly. just, it's, it's almost game changing when it comes to that. Yeah. That's something where we did that little series on the food plotting in the spring and we put it on YouTube and on shields.com. And that's one thing we're going to do another one in July or August and touch on that very thing that that time of year we can get all those cameras set and then not have to go in there. And again, that's, Obviously, our ultimate goal, I guess, for most time for trail cameras is try to find a really big buck to hunt. Um, I guess that's the ultimate goal. Again, the other stuff is just uh, um, additional bonuses, but uh, disturbance is a big thing. I mean, that's if you want to kill a mature deer, and that's something we'll touch on when we do that next segment, um, you got to stay out of your areas. I mean, the more pressure you have, the less big bucks you're going to have, and that's, that's, uh, that's tried and true, and there's really no argument for that. So that's where having a solar panel on your trail camera it's the ultimate ultimate tool for finding a big deer so mm -hmm, yep. absolutely and you kind of beat me to the punch on talking about that youtube stuff yeah so now now that the cat's out of the bag jeff jeff did some uh well uh just released the first part of his series of videos and it's basically habitat improvements and trail camera tips um you know if you haven't watched that yet you can head to our youtube channel and uh and it's right there just food plot tips yep. and it's it's some good stuff so so tell us a little bit about like what you did in that video and what uh what you're continuing to do with like with your property yep okay so i just got a small property in western wisconsin um it's 80 some acres and uh i've got about a four acre opening and over the years i got really sandy soil so we've been really struggling with getting anything to grow in those food plots um, I got uh, Mike Lindahl from Domain Outdoors uh, to plant my plots last year, and I had the best food plot I've ever had in my life. So, And I, we talked about it in the video, but my daughter ended up killing the biggest buck of her life over that food plot. So that's the, the whole um, season in a nutshell was our hunting was way better than it's ever been because of food. And that's pretty basic. You know, I mean, we can't bait in Wisconsin or anything like that. So if you can get a food plot to grow, it's a huge draw right now. Um, we you know, in the spring, you basically do your clovers and alfalfas and chicories. Um, I'll get my food plot established. You can mow those if they get big and you can spray them for weeds. Um, if they start to get big enough to flower, you just want to mow them a time or two throughout the summer. But I always do that to get my plot established. And then our next segment or, or the third segment we're going to do, will show our fall plantings and we'll do some brassicas and some turnips and some radishes um, for a fall food source. And uh, I just I've got the plot established the deer get used to coming to it then I'll just mow it down and maybe spray it or just till it under and then we'll plant some brassicas later on again if you're going to plant corn and beans you can do those in the spring too um, those are all annuals whereas your clovers and alfalfas and stuff will come up again it's called a perennial seed so um, I try to do a combination obviously just like you and I we go to a buffet you like a little bit of everything and and animals do too I watch deer you know if you watch them walk through the woods they're constantly nipping on something or eating something off the forest floor whether it's acorns um, but they, they definitely vary their diet. So one thing doesn't do it for them. You've got to have a, a good combination to keep your wildlife happy. So. Mm -hmm, absolutely. And when you're planting a variety of stuff, you know, the, certain plants are going to become uh, more desirable at certain times of the year. Correct. You know, like take soybeans, for example. They're going to be, you know, they're going to be really desirable early when they're green, those leaves and yep. stuff. 
but then you know like they'll start to yellow and whatnot and then you know deer will move to something like an acorn yep. but then but then you get late in the season then they're going to come back for them pods yep. so like Correct. that's definitely something to think about yep. is how do how do i have a food source so so my property is desirable all the time around yeah you know and like the you you bring it to most limiting factors too you know like you talked you have a, you have a property that's got a bunch of woods so you've got great cover oh. but then you got to look into your food and your water because everything because all the animals need food water cover yep. so i mean you you touched a little bit about food um have you have you done anything for water too yep. in that one yeah exactly i actually have a river flowing through my property but i've i've known from prior experiences i uh i put water holes in where you want to hunt i mean that's that's definitely a hunting tool for me um you put them in a thicker bedding area or up on a ridge where they don't have to expose themselves to go to water because at night they'll go anywhere for water but uh, if you put an in-woods water source in close to where the deer want to bed and want to be it's always going to be an effective hunting spot um, and then also of course this time of year obviously all the wildlife using it i remember we i've had trail camera pictures again i showed you yesterday morning of a great big bear laying in my water hole um, I get owls come down there. I've had just about every wildlife on my property come to that water hole. So they found mm-hmm. it now. And now, now last night I had, I didn't show you the picture yet, but I have a little fawn there with its mom and she's drinking out of the water hole and the fawn's nursing. So it's kind of like the whole cycle is going on there. That's um, very cool. And, yeah. and, you know, I'm guessing the people listening to this haven't seen the bear picture, but when he says big bear, you know, they, oh, big bear, whatever. But you look at this bear and it's like, yeah. whoa. Yeah, he filled up my 120-gallon water tank. So what I use is, you know, there's lots of ways to do water holes. A lot of people dig them in. I don't have clay. Um, When I used to hunt Buffalo County, there was a good clay base three or four feet down, so you could dig down, and the clay would hold the water, and that's that's a great water hole. Um, What I use is the earth-blind water holes out of Chippewa Falls, Wisconsin. Um, They're called earth ponds now, and they make approximately a 60-gallon water hole and a 120-gallon water hole approximately. I guess it's a little smaller than 120 gallons now, but but, uh, they're just awesome. They're uh, dirt-impregnated fiberglass, and you dig them down a little bit, and and, uh, the owner told me, he said, you fill it three-quarters of the way when you put it in, you'll never have to fill it again, which I found hard to believe because of evaporation and and, uh, animals drinking, but I've never filled filled it in five years. It fills itself when it rains, so... So again, low maintenance. There's a little work at first, but once you get in there, and then the beauty of that is it doesn't take big equipment. I literally did it with a, sh- a couple spades, uh, shovels, and and uh, you can put it exactly where you want. So mm-hmm. um, I always make sure I get a good stand tree, kind of figuring out for a west wind, and and you know, once you put it in there, you you got it where you want it. So yeah, that's a great thing to keep in mind. Like it's when you whether you're doing a water hole or doing a food plot, you know, I was thinking a couple of steps ahead. Like, how am I going to hunt this? Like, where am I going to put my stand? Where am I going to put my cameras? What are my entry and exit routes going to be? So I'm not bumping deer in and out. So that's, that's a great thing to be thinking about when you're doing this stuff. And like you said, you, you've got a river on your property too. So it's like they, they have water. So, I mean, they're going to be there, but to put the water in a preferred spot or like a transition zone. So everything just becomes more efficient and it becomes like their preferred spot to go. Then things just get a lot better for you. Correct. Yeah. And, 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 Touching on that a little bit more, and again, generally, I used to hunt Buffalo County, which is really bluff, bluffy and on and tall ridges. I found that you know there's usually water low. Obviously, gravity does its deal, and cricks are in the bottom of the draws and stuff. If you can put a water hole high, because there's usually not there's occasionally there's a spring and stuff up high, but generally, if you can get water up high, it's going to be very effective because they just don't have to go down to that low land to get water. So, and that's generally where they bed. You know, deer bed high and feed low. That's the old theory. That stands true for sure. So I, I put mine on my my ridge on my lease, and that's this year for sure. I can tell you they're using a lot more than they did last year already. So the the longer you got that water hole in place, the more they become comfortable with it, and obviously grow up with it. So yeah, you know. and I mean if you're gonna place it closer to their bedding area, like mm-hmm. the deer's gonna not have to walk as far to get water, you yep. know, because like, they need water to survive to yep. stay, you know, in in the shape they need to be. So if they yep. have to, you know exude less effort Correct. to get to the yep. water they want to do yep. they're they're going to go to that spot yep. so and, and the you know again it's hot out today you'd think that this is when deer really use water holes and they do but i found it's the most effective thing i found for hunting a big deer during the rot too because 
they don't have to eat when they're rutting. They don't have to eat. They'll go weeks without uh, eating very much. They'll lose 30 to 35% of their body weight in some cases. Big bucks will just running does uh, and rutting, but uh, they always have to drink. They always have to have water, just like you and I. We can mm -hmm. survive without food for a long time, but you have to have water, and so do animals. So during the rut, you'll literally be sitting there at 9, 10 in the morning, and you'll see a buck coming running through the woods because he knows your water holes there just to get a drink. And then they go back and do their thing. But I've shot a number of really big bucks on water holes later in the morning um, because they need to come get a drink. They'll leave whatever they're doing because at some point they just need some water. Yep, absolutely. Cool. They, do, they just can't last that long without right. water. So if you're thinking about your property and you have, you know, you have kind of the doe bedding areas nailed down and you understand the transition routes, if you don't have water near that, that's a great yep. spot to get yourself a water yep. hole in exactly. there and then just camp on it all day during yep. the rut. Yep. And that's the chasing areas, you know, where they're in the woods and the open oak flats. It doesn't have to be, if you get on the edge of an open oak flat where they like chasing does around, that's the perfect location for a water hole. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Good stuff. So, you know what? I'm still very curious about your food plots and yep. stuff. So I'd, I'd like to go kind of back into that yep. again. So you said you have four acres, right? Correct. Yep. So what did, what did you initially start with and, and what's going in there this year? Yep. Um, when I took the lease over, um, there's farm fields to the south of me and then I had just a tall grass field. And that should have been an indication because I'm in farm country that it's probably not very good soil. And I kind of knew that because if it's not planted in farm fields, there's probably a reason. I do have a lot of sand. So um, I had it grown up in just natural grasses, basically four acres of it. So I basically went in and used my Swisher mower behind my four-wheeler and contoured out probably, I'd say two to two and a half acres of that grass field. I did leave some of the grasses stand because I've learned hunting over the United States that deer like tall grass. You know, it doesn't matter if you hunt Kansas or Iowa, CRP grass holds mm -hmm. a lot of animals. So I did want to leave a lot of that tall grass there. So I kind of contoured it out. I kind of thought where I was going to hunt by looking at the oak trees on the edge. So took that in consideration a little bit. I have two or three good stand sites around this two and a half acre plot and I just kind of contoured it out. Um, one thing I learned is you could leave a buffer. You know, I don't like doing my food plot right up to the edge of the woods. If I leave about a 10 yard buffer of tall grass, it encourages the animals to come out a lot earlier in the day. And that's something I just learned um, over the years. Um, if they can stand the woods and look at the food plot out there and see there's either is something or not something out there, it'll determine whether they walk out there. If you have tall grass, that you leave, they have to actually walk through that tall grass to look into the food plot. So whether it's during the rut or during a food time, um, I just found that to be more effective. So I left kind of a buffer around most of my woods, you know, about 10 yards of tall grass. Um, and then we just contoured it out. And again, I had struggles with getting things to grow. I checked my pH was good, but I knew I had really sandy soil. So um, I'm down to, you know, um, little rye grasses will grow good in sand, but uh, winter wheat is one I'm gonna try this fall. But my brassicas, my uh, turnips and radishes grew tremendously last year. Um, we didn't plant them. We're again in the upper Midwest. We didn't plant them till the last weekend in August. So real late, just um, about as late as we could possibly plant it. But we just hit the right uh, series of rain, of course. That's always a big thing. Uh, I always joke because we're not, most of us aren't farmers. And we aspire to be. I think every guy out there just likes planting stuff and see if it'll grow. It's just part of being a, a guy, I think, sometimes. Mm -hmm. but once once anyone does a food plot, they'll consider yep. themselves a farmer. Yep. And then, so of course, you watch, I'm, the, I'm the same way. you watch the Weather Channel or the Weather Channel app religious, religiously to see if it's going to rain, you know, and just pray for rain. Um, but uh, I had a good combination last year, and I probably had knee-high. Uh, and, again, that's something we'll show later on. I've got, I had uh, some trail cameras out on video mode, which was the coolest thing I did last year. I, I had two or three of them out that I left on my food plot all year. And I've got, you know, three-year-old bucks that are 140 inches pulling up, you know, two-foot plants out of my food plot and just munching them right down in October. So that's um, awesome. That's, that's the ultimate goal. That's like the best reward you can get in planting a food plot. And then again, when my daughter shot her biggest buck of her life on her food plot, that was the ultimate goal right there. I mean, that was the best hunt I've ever had in my life. So in mm -hmm. the best season. So what um let's talk a little bit about what you want to plant on a size plot yep. you know like not everyone has the luxury of having four acres yep. so what uh, what would you recommend doing to somebody that you know says you know i want to put in a food plot um but i don't have a lot of space right now let's yep. say let's say maybe they can do a third of an acre. Yep. What are you thinking there? Yep. Well, it's very common and I've been in those situations most times in my life. This is the biggest food plot I've ever had in all the years I've been hunting. So um, 
I've absolutely been in that area. So it's common to have a logging road. Um, I've actually got a gas line on mine that I can plant a little bit, but logging roads are common to plant clovers. The reason it is, if you do a logging road, you got a little bit of a canopy opening so you can get some sunlight. Mm -hmm. um, again, depending on your soils, clovers are always a good op uh, option. Um, there's a couple mixes out there from a few manufacturers that are designed for in the shade. Um, if they just, just get a little bit of sunlight, they're pop, but uh, like the throw and grows and the no sweats and um, um, things like that, but a lot of times they incorporate a lot of ryegrasses. And ryegrasses are good, but they're not a great food plot seed, but they're good. The reason I always found it to work well, like when I put my water hole in, for instance, I rake that all up and put uh, one of those mixes in the woods. It sprouts green, the deer absolutely love it early. Um, it just becomes a destination to them. If deer walk through the woods and they, they find a green spot, they're always gonna just gonna um, gravitate towards it. It's just amazing if you put anything green. So again, I've done a lot of food plots where I've taken my metal rake in the woods and just raked out a 20 by 20 yard area and just throw some seed in the ground. So, and very effective. I mean, it just gets the wildlife to come there. And once it becomes a destination in the late or late summer, early fall, they just remember that and they'll keep checking it. So, yeah. And it's, you know, plots that size aren't necessarily a destination, more right. of like a transitional yep. plot. Like if you can find an area like that, that, you know, you've got your bedding area deep in, and then they're trans naturally transitioning to like an egg field or something. Yep. If you can put one of those in between, you know, like it just gives them another reason to get there, maybe get there a little bit before dark, yep. you know, it just can be really lights out. Yeah. Yeah. And there's definitely different hunting properties. Like I've hunted Dakotas and stuff where, you know, all the deer are going to that alfalfa field over there. Cause it's the only alfalfa in the area. Or like you mentioned, if you have beans that are still green when opening a bow season gets here, they're going to those green beans that time of year, soybeans, um, um, before they brown up, you know, they absolutely love them. So I've hunted states where, you know, that the deer are all going there. You'll see 30, 40 deer coming from every direction to come to a destination field. Um, conversely, like a, the lease I got now, I've got, it's, again, it's because it's sand, I've got a lot of potatoes around there and potatoes deer don't eat and you know, cornfields, which you can't really hunt them in a cornfield, you know, so I don't really have a destination that all my deer go to. So it's, it's definitely, you have to kind of play it by ear on what you got. Mm -hmm. So I, I thought, well, in my 80 some acres, again, not very big, um, I'm going to make a, a, a big of a food plot and provide as much food in my property. Again, we can't bait in Wisconsin. So that's fine because everybody's on an equal playing field and, uh, just have to play it by ear and I got some oak now but my oaks tend to produce acorns like most oaks do I think all oaks every other year mm -hmm. last year I didn't have much for acorns now this year I should have a big acorn crop so that's a big part of it too so um, you have to just kind of pay attention and have a feel for your for your hunting area you know when it comes to that so okay so do you change your crop rotation based off of how many you know like the oak acorn crop you uh, have going on nope not because that's you can't ever count on that i mean mm -hmm. acorns are if we get a late frost i mean it's gonna it's gonna usually freeze the acorns off so mother nature as far as the oak trees if you have them there's no better no better food that deer will go to than white oak acorns if you've got acorns they'll like you mentioned when they leave the beans or the alfalfa in the fall they're going because the acorns dropping and i've really seen it in north dakota um when i hunted out there about that time that the bow season opens out there the deer are coming out in velvet and then they start rubbing their velvet, but the acorns start dropping also. And all of a sudden, they quit showing up in the fields. Yeah, Everybody it can literally be like a light yep. switch. Like literally, you know that acorns drop at that time. And literally, it's like from day to day, you've got these bucks patterned, and all of a sudden, nothing comes out in the field. And it's because the acorns are dropping. So you can't combat that. You just use it to your advantage. If you know where the oak trees are, obviously, you hunt by the oak trees. Um, that's always the best scenario. Um, but because of that... That's why I provide a smorgasbord and a food plot I've got. Again, I've got clover and chicory and alfalfa out there right now. Um, you're just pounding it, and I'll again, I'll keep that maintained throughout the summer. Like you mentioned, different plants are good for different times of year, and obviously clovers, alfalfa, um, uh, chicories and stuff like that, you can mow them. They provide a ton, literally tons of forage, and uh, just keep the deer happy and something to eat on. And then in the fall, you get your more desirable plots and your turnips and and again, you know, the knowledge is out there that after the first freeze, those big leaves turn from a starch to a sugar and they become really desirable for deer. So they'll eat those all the way through the winter if it's still there. Yep. And then they'll, and then they'll start pulling up them bulbs yep. afterwards. Yeah. Yep. So. Uh, we, we did some of that video footing, uh, footage that you've, you've got that showed actually cupped out just like a saucer where the turnips were below the ground. They ate them right down. So just like a little cup sitting in the ground. So yep. it was pretty cool to see. I mean, and, I had hundreds of them out there like that. Mm -hmm. And what's nice about those turnips too is like, 
they can't just get it immediately. You know, like a bean, like a bean plant, you know, a, a deer can come and just kind of rip them all right off and then yeah. they're done with that plant. Like a turnip, like they have to take some time and, yeah. and it's yeah. going to, it's going to be a little bit like the nutrients are there. So they're, they're going to yep. take work the time to get after it, yeah. but you do have to work for it. Yeah. So yeah. that'll translate into them maybe getting out a little bit earlier, staying out there a little longer. Yeah. And one thing people don't ever think about, and again, we're in farm country, so, you know, everybody just assumes, and again, years we have good acorn crops, they definitely have more food throughout the winter, and they can still scrape up some of those in the spring, but spring, you know, that post-snow period is a huge stress period on deer. You know, we're in farm country, you think there's a lot of food, but when you get looking at it, there's no food out there for deer. Nothing's greened up yet, you know, nothing's growing for the new crops, so if you can get a a clover plot established or anything like that. Anything that turns green early in the spring, it's a huge advantage to helping your wildlife make it through that stress period. That's that's one of the biggest stress periods there is because there's just not a lot of food in the spring. You know, mm-hmm. you're waiting for it. You're just on the cusp of. And of course, the fawns are the fawns are still in the womb. You know, and then if you can get those to get some nutrition in them, it helps the deer right from the start. And and uh, you know, you have healthier fawns, and hopefully, again, you have bigger bucks someday. That's the ultimate goal. Always, yep, so. and that's where that frost seeding is really mm-hmm. beneficial, isn't it? Yeah, frost seeding is one, and then also, obviously, if you have a clover plot established or your winter wheat, um, winter wheat's a good one. Again, it's it's you only got a short period where they really like winter wheat, and it gets too tall. So, but it's, it's that spring period. Mm-hmm. So, actually, in my research that I've done now in that sand country. I'm going to do some winter wheat and I'm going to probably plant it in October even or late or in September and just it'll grow up, um, you know, before November, it'll grow up six, eight inches or so and it'll be a very desirable plot and then it gets snowed on and then it's there greened up. It's If you drive around the countryside and you see a green field in March, it's winter wheat, yeah. you know, and it's good for about a month and then it's done. It grows too tall and you just got to till it under. So And in certain instances, it can be good in that like December time yep. frame too yeah, because through. like so everything else has been harvested or dies and then you got snow and then you get like a week where it warms up and then that stuff kind of starts you know peeking through that snow and then it's green like that can be a a magnet yep yep and again it's not that it's hugely desirable but it's all that's out there yeah during those stress periods so yeah i i don't that's why i've never planted winter before because i know it's it's some maintenance to do and it's again there's a lot of things that are more desirable but there's certain periods of the year where that's that's the ticket so i'm Again, that's something I'm transitioning to right now because I've got sandy soil. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's the great thing about food plots is, like, you can experiment. You can try new right. things. You can see what works, yep. what doesn't. You know, certain things are going to work great in your area, and yep. certain things are going to work terrible in your area, and it yep. might be vice versa for a different part of the country. So, yeah, definitely experiment. Put on that farmer hat and, yep. uh, and, 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 and even get after it. To add more to that, you know, I've got guys that come in and, for instance, uh, sugar beets or turnips, deer won't touch them until you plant it the second year. They literally don't know what it is. You can plant sugar beets some places they've never seen a sugar beet and they'll just sit there because they don't literally know what it is to eat it. And then by the second year, they're onto it and then it becomes a huge desirable. So don't even give up on something right away. Mm -hmm. If it works for other people, it's usually going to work eventually in your spot too, but you're throwing something in there that the deer haven't seen before uh, in many cases. So that's, that's the fun of it also. You just give it a second year. I hear that all the time, of course, working in retail and selling a lot of food plot seed of that very scenario where, boy, the first year they didn't touch it, but after that they, they won't, they'll walk through everything else to get to it. So, yep, and I've had, that, I've had that same exact experience too. Like back in my parents' place, they've got a, they have a two-acre food plot right behind their house yeah. so they can, like, they can watch the deer and stuff and, and – you know, we did to, to get it established, we did like Roundup Ready soybeans just so you could do the weed control and you could really get that plot going well. And it, yep. it's good soil. We're, I'm thankful for that. Yep. You can plant pretty much whatever and it'll yep. grow. But, um, you know, like we planted soybeans for a couple of years and then it was like, okay, let's do a rotation. And we put in, we put in brassicas, turnips, radishes, that stuff. And that was before like any of our neighbors or any in the area like started doing food plots. We were kind of one of the first ones on the block to do that. And we, and we put out those brassicas, those turnips, radishes, and like they got, they were perfect. You know, like it was nice, lush green. They were like a little bit bigger than a softball, you know, like not too big where they hated it, but not like too small. So it offered a great forage and they didn't touch any of that two acre feel it was like wow this is the most frustrating thing in the world but yeah. then you know we we tried it again a couple of years later and it, it was much much yeah. better yeah. so it's like okay yeah this is this is a food source now it does take yeah. a little bit of time 
And I hear that often enough now to know it's definitely a thing and definitely a pattern. But uh, speaking of that, you know, one of the things that just a quick uh, tip on food plots, you, know, you plant clover and alfalfa and chicory, you know, it's a tiny little seed. And I'll go out there and I, just like most guys and, and ladies that plant food plots, I plant it pretty heavily. You know, I think, well, if that's because it doesn't look like you're putting much seed out. It just, gosh, you got your, I use a hand seeder mostly and it just doesn't look like you're getting much out there. So I always plant them heavily. And that works for your clovers and alfalfas and chicories. But for years, I was guilty of when I do brassicas, of oh, I got some left in the bag, so I'll just go over it again and use up my seed. And I always buy it if it was a half acre plot, I always buy an acre, an acre and a half, because it just doesn't look like I got much seed. Well, what I was having happen is I was choking my brassicas out. So you're, you're yep. obviously you're planting a little seed in the ground, but you're, you're growing a tube underneath the ground or a, a bulb and it has to have room to grow. Again, you'll get softball size or bigger. If you plant at the right time of year, baseball, the softball size is always the most desirable, but it has to have room to expand. And my plots would only grow up about 10, 12 inches, and I, couldn't, I just choked them out. You know? So I was always guilty of that. Now I've learned that you just gotta be sparing, especially when you're planting bulb type seeds. So your turnips, uh, sugar beets, uh, radishes, things like that. Do less is better. Less is more. Mm-hmm. So less is definitely more. And, and yeah, you you definitely hit the nail on the head there. That reminds me of a story from uh, from Easter time. I had my my relatives come up, and they've got they have a really nice piece of property. It's probably like 240 acres, a lot of woods around, and they've cleared out some food plots. A lot of a lot of micro plots, like yeah. your your eighth of an acre to a half. Yeah. You know, like a lot of those plots, and they do brassicas in a lot of them. And um, my my one cousin Zach, he's he's like really scientific about it, and he's like getting out a getting out measuring and like perfectly precise about the seed that he puts down and he puts in the area, you know, like mapping it out on your hunt onyx or whatever, so you know like that's exactly what you're supposed to do. But then my uncle Bob, he's like, you know, whatever, I'll just put it in and I'll throw it down and make sure there's enough out there. And every year Zach's plots are looking better than Bob's yeah. is and then he's finally just like, Zach, you do them all. Yeah, yeah. I, I <laughs> so can't there's tell you how so many, much truth to that. How many years I've planted turnips and and uh and things like that and they grow as big as a ping pong ball. I'm like, mm-hmm. gosh, they're supposed to get bigger than this and but it was because I was choking it out. And again, I didn't really do a lot of research on it. I when I used to hunt different areas, I had really good soil. You could throw anything in the ground and it would grow. So I just again I always had too much seed along because you didn't want to run out and you don't want to waste it once you got it. So but just always remember that. I mean since I've been doing it correctly it's 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 been a huge advantage to getting brassicas to grow in the fall for sure, you know. So mm-hmm. yep. very nice. And so so what's your trail camera strategy on these plots then? Can you walk us through that? Yeah, for sure. I you know what I learned a few things over the years on that also, you know, uh, for many years, um, I put cameras on obviously soybean fields, like you said, when I was hunting farm areas and there's nothing better in July and August, whether you're riding around looking for deer or you're hunting your own property or putting trail cameras out is the bachelor groups of bucks are going to be in soybeans. If you have soybeans in your area, they're going to be in there in July and August. That's where all the bucks end up. They do hit alfalfa a little bit if you have a nice alfalfa field, but if you ride around, you're going to see 90, 95% of your bucks in, in soybean fields when it's right. So I always used to put trail cameras along the edge and didn't get a lot of pictures of these bucks. And when you're riding around, you see them again. You know that being in North Dakota that they're out in the middle of these fields, you know, and they're out in the middle. Well, um, that was always a struggle. So I learned quickly that, and, and, and a wise, old, uh, wise a friend of mine told me that, yeah, deer have danger along the edge of the woods. That's where your coyotes might be. That's where hunters are. So when they come into a field, they usually try to get away from the edge and get out in the field a little bit so they can see and use that to their advantage. When he told me that, that made a lot of sense. So since then, I use stick and pick, you know, the camera mounts, you can just stick in the ground. Mm-hmm. And since I started doing that, so in my plot myself now, um, like I mentioned, I mowed, you know, I mowed uh, like an L shape into my plot um, out of that tall grass. And I put a camera right on that that peak of that L, you know, right at the peak of that grass, and every deer has to come around there. So if you got an L shaped, they'll come around and go from one part of the L to the next, if that makes sense to everybody. And that's the most effective trail camera I've got out there. And it's, again, it's on a stick and pick, staked into the ground. The cool thing about those is it's just easy move. You pick it up and stake it back in somewhere else. But I've used stick and pick style mounts on all my trail cameras. I don't use a strap on any of them anymore. So I rather it's the screw in ones or it's the um, stake-in ones, I just find it to be the ultimate tool for getting good trail camera pictures. If I put it in the middle of my plot, I could literally put it out, the deer come and investigate it. Because again, it's not danger to them. If they see a stick sticking up in the plot, 
I've had bucks rub on it. I've got bucks mm-hmm. come over and sniff it. Um, have bucks tip it over occasionally, and it'll come over and rub the rub their antlers on that because they think it's just a stick sticking out of the ground. So it's it's definitely something I've seen in my plots is is, is use a stake in style mounts. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah I mean de- deer are curious animals yep. by nature. Yep. So if and that makes a lot of sense too, because you know like like you said, there's danger on the edge, yep. and then you know if they can stare at that yep. camera yep. and that stick for a little while and determine like it's not dangerous, they're more than likely going to go and check yep. it out yep. and see what's going on. And if you look at your plot or if you look at a bean field, there'll be a little, a lot of times there's a little low spot in the field and deer gravitate towards those little spots. And there's lots of theories. I, you know, I think they all hold true is sometimes they're out of, you know, if there's a road in the distance, they're hidden better if they go in that little mm-hmm. low spot or dip in the field. That's obviously true. I always think too, maybe there's more runoff and more nutrients in that spot and more moisture for sure. When I hunted in Wyoming, you could look at the alfalfa fields or they what they termed, it looked like my lawn out there because it's so arid. But the, if you look out in the field, there'd be a, a darker spot out there with a, a little bit lower, or just held a little bit more moisture. The deer would run out of those hills out there and run to that darker spot in that alfalfa field. Yep. So if you pay attention to that, and again, so there's where you put your camera. You know, and your food plots are the same way. If you got a little bit of a dip, um, just, and it has to be subtle. It doesn't have to be much at all. But that always, if you watch deer come out, they don't hang, linger along the edge very long. They'll get out in the middle of that plot. Again, there's lots of reasons for that. Maybe the plants are better out there. Maybe they haven't been nipped off as much. Um, they might scrape along the edge of woods, but they'll always get away from that edge as soon as they can and go out in the middle where they can use their sight to their advantage and if they have predators. so mm-hmm. I'll um, vouch for that 100% because yeah. I've spent quite a bit of time hunting in, in North Dakota, especially eastern North Dakota, and there's just there's not a lot of trees around. You know, There's not a lot of cover. You're, you've got tons of fields. You've got some tree rows, and then you've got a lot of these slough pockets yeah. that are hanging out in your in your fields and in and those low those low lines will absolutely be transition areas great places for cameras great places to you know figure out how to set up it's it's difficult hunting them because you know like that's why they're using them as a transition zone because you just can't really get at them right Right. And that's what trail cameras are so fun. And I run a lot of trail cameras and knowing it's part of my business, obviously. But I said, even if I didn't work at Shields, I'm running trail cameras. I just have so much fun. I've got four of them out right now. It's just turned June and I've got four trail cameras out. I've had out for three months. Deer don't have antlers or anything to speak of right now, but it's just been fun. And I, again, uh, reiterate that I, I you know the pictures I've gotten the last couple of days are just cool. They're just fun. I mean, you can, it's mm-hmm. just exciting again to just check your phone every morning. I've got a little quick story for you. I sold uh, a set of the, the cuddling cameras to a, a farmer from near us, and his whole life he's been a dairy farmer. Him and his boys, they got a huge dairy farm, and he came in and cursed me about a month later. I said, what's wrong? Aren't the cameras working? He said, oh, they're working great. He said, but my whole life, Jeff, I used to get up in the morning and, and look at the grain market report. That was my life. I made sure what the grain market was before. Because we farm for a living. He said, now I get up and I grab that phone and look at my trail camera pictures. <laughs> I got the biggest kick out of that. I said, I know I'm the same way. The first thing you do when you wake up in the morning, you grab that phone to see what you got overnight. Yeah, we it, feel it, you, buddy. Oh, yeah, it's not, it's not, a, it's it's true. It's, it's definitely the truth. So I, I got a big kick out of that. And, and, and of course, that's what you want to hear from the you know, friends and from people you uh, help out at the store. So, yeah. You know. and, and not only that, it's a great way to get like new people or your kids into it Correct. too, yep. because you can go out there, you can explore through the woods. Yep. and and you yep. know introduce them to the outdoors yep. show them the pictures like hey honey look at look at the deer that came yep. on the camera that we just put out yep. you know yep. and i, I want to reiterate that it's so little work and you get so much out of it you know again i've got trail cameras out and we're all busy in the summer whether it's family stuff or vacations and that's all great you want to be doing that with your family and but literally the whole time we're doing that my cameras are out there Basically, you can say scouting or just taking pictures and monitoring my property. Um, again, you can use it for security. Maybe you have trouble with trespassers. There's lots of reasons for it, but I just like seeing what I get on for wildlife. And then you learn, you know, if you put a camera somewhere for a while and you don't get many pictures, boy, I thought this was going to be a good spot. Sometimes you can move it 20, 30 yards and, oh, here's where they're going. You know, so you, that's why I run so many cameras is you get a good feel for how they're traveling through the property. You know, the animal, whether it's, again, we're talking about deer, but whether what, whatever animals you're trying to, uh, like, again, I used them for turkeys this spring. You know, mm-hmm. I thought, boy, this should be a strut zone where the birds are strutting, and by gosh, they were, you know. And, but you find out certain times of year they're there and certain times they're not. So where if you're not out there to actually see it with your eye, that's about the only other thing you can use to scout. So Yeah, for sure. To, trail cameras can be a super effective tool for yeah. turkey season. Like I have this one property in particular where it's uh, it's next to a river and it, and it, 
pinches really yep. tight. There's probably only like a 50 yard gap and, and the birds will roost on one side and they'll transition too. So like I throw a camera on that spot and like the birds aren't there every day, yeah. but when I see them go through like with 45 minutes to light, it's like, okay, I know I need to set there, yep. set up there in the morning because they're going to be roosted right there, or yep. at least within earshot. So yep. Yep. it's a, it's a really good way to get sophisticated about it, especially if you can't, you know, scout that day. Yeah. Yep. And it tells you again, we're talking about turkeys now, it'll tell you, and it, uh, if you see all animals, are they coming through in the morning or the evening? Are they coming through every three days? You can really start patterning and you know, there's people that get really in depth and do it I, I don't get that much in depth but they'll watch moon phases and wind directions and things like that and there's definitely patterns to the movement um, if you pay attention you know during an east wind this big buck comes through this spot pretty much every time there's an east wind if you really watch that you can use it to your advantage to help you with your scouting obviously boots in the boots in the dirt and walking I, I do a ton of scouting myself physically too I, yeah. mean, I just love being out in the woods and and uh um, so that all, but it's just part of it, you know, it just adds another level to, um, there's even a trail camera out now uh, made by Spartan that does live video. And a couple of the guys at work had those out this spring and it'll trigger and tell you you got a notification. They look and there's a big Tom strutting in front of the camera. We can literally go on live video on their phone as it's happening and they can hear the turkeys gobbling and it's the coolest thing ever. I mean, oh, it's just, that is it's super the next cool. level. It's the next mm -hmm. level. In yeah, you camera, can. So. Boy, you can really get into the weeds and all this trail camera oh, yeah. stuff. And yeah. it, like w when you were talking about the wind direction and, and deer coming in and certain east winds, that just, you know, brings me back to a story too because I was hunting this buck in North Dakota probably four years ago and you'd get this pattern like he was there almost every day, but certain days he wasn't. Mm -hmm. So it's um, the place where I hunted was, it was a prevailing westerly wind and and I, I would go back and I would notice like every time it would switch to an east wind, like it would be where um, there, there was this big cliff too. So it'd be the bedding area on the cliff. And when, when the wind was blowing where, where he couldn't smell that plot, he was not going in yep. there. So it's like, and it just so happened to be that was the most efficient way to hunt it too is because you'd walk the side of the cliff and you get into a stand and yep. it's like... Yeah, and Just, as much as we have to use the wind to our advantage, the animals do also. So you, you do your best thing usually for wind is if you get a quartering wind. If you got a northeast or so, so you just your boy, you're, you're hedging the line to kill an animal like that. Um, yep. You have to almost just about have them smell you and have them get by you. You know, that's that's all part of the game again. But or the other thing is, you know, when he doesn't show up on an east wind, which way is he going? So you put a camera on the other side and find out, you know, okay, oh, during an east wind, he's going to this field or he's going this direction. And again, it's all part of what you can do. And again, that's why when we sit in our tree stands, we learn so much because we're physically mm -hmm. seeing basically what the, the cameras, what we're seeing a bigger area. Yeah. That's why in the woods surveillance and, you know, just paying attention to what's going on around you is so important once hunting season starts. And mm -hmm, uh, for so. sure. Then you have actually time to just sit and kind of think about it and process mm -hmm. it too. Yeah. Yep. So, yep. Absolutely. So, you know, Hey, this has been a ton of great information. I appreciate your time. And, um, you know, we do, we, recently launched a, a podcast on Tacticam with Ben Stern. Yeah. And you were actually mentioned in that one. Oh, is that so right? we, yeah. we talked about a lot of similar stuff and, yeah. and, and it was, it was pretty cool. Yeah. Ben's an old friend of mine. Yeah. They got an incredible product. That's actually what I've got out in the field right now is their new trail camera, the reveals and the reveal X's and for the money. I mean, you can't beat them. They're just a great product. And obviously we sell as many as we can get in, in the stores, obviously. So, um, yeah, yeah, that's, that's, it's all part of the whole equation. Again, you mentioned kids. I have a son and daughter that hunt and that's my daughter or my, my daughter's a nurse, you know, so she's busy. She actually works on a COVID floor at a Mayo clinic and obviously very stressful. So, um, this keeps her going, you know, so my boy's in college, so he doesn't get any time to scout or do anything, but he, I send him pictures. Even right now I'm sending him pictures as he's, you know, starting his senior year in college and keeps him going. So the few days he does get home to hunt, you know, he knows what we got going on. And so it's all, it, it's, it's all part of the whole, you know, the, the group thing that we've got going on. So it's, it's a lot of fun. You know, in most trail cameras, you can, you can do multiple addresses. You don't have to just limit to one person getting the pictures. You can usually send it to as many people as you want. So, um, again, great, great technology. I just, again, it's just, a the fun of it is just, you know, yep. it's just all part of the puzzle and part of the whole game that we play, I guess, is what you might say. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah, a lot, a lot of cool new things happening in the outdoor yep. industry. So absolutely. Yes. Again, thank you so much for your time. We look forward to uh, also seeing the rest of that video series, yeah. too. Yeah. We're excited about that. It's something, you know, we're fairly new with it at Shields and you're, you've been a big part of that. And 
Um, I, I, I'm, I'm more excited every day as we go forward, and we got a good team, little team put together to do that in Eau Claire. And, and uh, yeah, we should have some good stuff coming up. And I actually just um, started a Facebook page of my own. It's called Better Outdoor Experience, just to keep track of things like this. And I mean, just I just did it within the last couple of weeks, and I just thought, you know, I've got all this footage and all these pictures, and I just want to share it with people, you know, and just, again, I'm not selfish about it. I mean, you want your own hunting area and things like that. I understand that. But uh, just to share what we're doing, like what we're doing out here and things. And I just thought it doesn't have to be, you know, even I've been trying to do fishing and hunting related thing, but I, I just spend a lot of time in the spring shed hunting. You know, I picked up a lot of sheds this spring. I just love being outside and just trying to share that to show people um, how much fun you can have outdoors, basically, is what my goal is with that. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So. so yeah, we'll uh, we'll link that in the in the description of this podcast. So if people oh, want to awesome. hear more, yeah. we can yeah. do that. And then um, you know, also look for look for upcoming content from this university yep. from from Jeff's food plot stories, and hopefully we can get a couple trophy photos uh, yeah. at the end of the year too. Yeah, that's the ultimate goal here. We're just going to kind of show a life in the season, basically, you know, and what you can do on a small piece of property, and and uh, we'll we'll share some hunting content and. And all the trials and tribulations of the hunting season, we're going to try to, you know, be as truthful as we can. And again, it'll probably be a three or four, four part series, I think, is what we're planning. And yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. We're looking forward to fall for sure. So oh, thanks for I having was, me, Mike. I was looking forward to fall. Yeah. yeah thanks for coming. And I look yeah. forward to your future content. All right. Appreciate it. Thanks. You just heard our segment with Jeff Miller of the Eau Claire Shield Store on food plots, habitat improvements, trail cameras, and how it all comes together to improve your chances at success in the field. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out in the comments of this podcast or on our social media platforms, Shields Outdoors on Facebook and Instagram. If you need anything to prepare yourself for the season, be it trail cameras, food plot seed, or any other type of hunting equipment or clothing, make sure to head to your local Shields or visit us online at shields.com. We have experts like Jeff at all our stores that are ready and willing to help with anything you need. That's the reason why we created these universities at Shields, to train our employees to be experts in the field so they can be experts at helping you in the store. And with that, we'd like to thank you all for listening and see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Shields Outdoors podcast. Stay tuned for future segments and visit our social media pages, Shields Outdoors on Facebook and Instagram for daily updates.